Welcome to Rock Your Midlife. I'm Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer, and I'm thrilled that you are here today because today's show is going to totally inspire you. I have a guest today, Jane Bulwar, who has knocked life out of the park. She has done amazing things. She started her life in the cornfields of Vermont, Vermont, Iowa. Sorry, I'm in Vermont. You're, you're Vermont. <laughs> I'm Iowa, you're Vermont. I live next door to a cornfield. From the cornfields of Vermont, Jane defied expectations to lead billion-dollar businesses and rise as a top Microsoft executive. By 52, she'd launched three major ventures, navigated the U.S.'s largest merger, and left a trail of influential leaders behind her. Passionate about empowering others to recognize their worth, Jane now dedicates herself to mentoring, board service, and cherishing outdoor moments with her family. She's written a great new book called Worthy, and all the proceeds from her book Worthy are committed to the Boys and Girls Clubs of America, Youth of the Year scholarships, and she lives in Bellevue, Washington. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife, Jane. So thrilled to have you here. I am so happy to be here talking about this subject, Ellen. I'm super passionate about it. Yeah, I want to talk about your book, first of all, and how you got to where you are. But I also really want to get into where you are at today. And hopefully we can inspire some midlife women who are watching to really, you know, follow their passions and really make a difference in the world. But let's start off just talking about your beginning. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how you went from the cornfields of Iowa into getting yep. an MBA and to traveling in South America and winding up at Microsoft. Give us a little bit of background. Well, first of all, people are like, you know, how did you plan that? I never had a plan. I grew up in a very small rural community. I was the fourth kid born in a one bedroom house in a family that just really didn't have any expectations other than, you know, stay on the good side of the church and the law in that order. So I didn't have any aspirations. I didn't see a town of 100,000 people till I was 16. I didn't see the ocean till I was 25. So I didn't even know what existed. I didn't have enough I didn't know enough of the world to even have aspirations really beyond my small community. But what I knew is I didn't want the life that I had or my parents had. Not that it was bad. It just didn't fit me. And so I had the opportunity when a gnarly old nun gave asked me what I was doing after class one day. And she said, you should go to college. You should go to college for forestry. You love the outdoors. You're good at like chemistry and biology and all this stuff. I really think you'd like that. And then she went the next step. She said, and I will help you get applied for a scholarship, which I got it was $320. That's all. But it was enough to make it real for me that I was college material and to think differently and to start walking through doors that opened. And so my life has unfolded. If you look at it, you're like, she got a degree in forestry and then an MBA and then became the chief marketing officer. And she worked overseas and she worked in, you know, in like in mergers and corner office of Microsoft. She must be like a real charger. I took pretty much every job nobody else wanted and did pretty well at it. And that was pretty much what I did. I kept saying yes, even though I was afraid and stretched and grew and became comfortable being afraid. Yeah, that's an amazing story. Was it a real stretch, though, to go from, you know, a family that was okay with where they were at and wanting more in your life? Did you get some pushback from your family when you were like, I'm going to go to college, I want more in my life? Um, to be truthful, uh, my family, I grew up with a dad in particular who was an us-them. And us don't talk to them because them wear ties and dresses and have clean fingernails and get rich off the the hard work of us. So it was, um, it was a big deal to go beyond that. 
And even when I told my mom that I got my, you know, I was going to be the corporate vice president at Microsoft, it was like one of the top positions, like as a one of a dozen or so women in the company. She's like, you never did listen, Jane. You know, you could have worked for the post office. You'd have gotten a uniform. You like to walk and you wouldn't have had to travel. Like, you know, you just don't listen. So they never quite got it. They never owned them to this day. They don't have cell phones. They don't have a, a, a computer. It's just a very different world. Yeah, it's a great story, too, because when I'm talking with women, working with people, I always say you've got to kind of rehab your relationships because when you are kind of creating a new reality for yourself that is different from the people that you love and you're coming from, they're going to to pull you back. They're going to, you know, like you said, why didn't you just work for the post office instead of, yeah. She wanted the best for me, for sure. Yeah. Um, She totally wanted the best for me. And I think, you know, they were proud of what I had achieved. It just was very different. And so... Maybe it was said another way is their love was never dependent on what I did, but who I was. And so they saw what I did was really putting me in a situation that was stressful or was stretching myself. And they're like, why do you want to do that? I don't get it. Um, But that was part of who I was and what motivated me. So they never got in my way. But, you know, I always tell people they didn't have expectations for me, which meant I had no limitations. Mm, they never that. said I couldn't go to college, just that I'd have to pay for it and find my own way. They never said what I couldn't do. They just said, well, if that's what you want, figure it out. And that became kind of a, a model through which I, I live my life. Every time someone said what I couldn't do, I just added the word yet and figure yeah, it out. I love that you that unconditional love too, that it wasn't mm-hmm. about what you did, but that there was that solid foundation of feeling loved and they they did allow you to create these incredible opportunities. So let's talk a little bit about the book. I love the title. And if you take a look at it, it's it says on is crossed out and then it says worthy. How did you come up with the title for the book? That's a great question. Um, notice the book's not Jane Bulware. Look what she's done. Be like this. Here's the five steps to getting to the corner office and blah, blah, blah. It's not like that at all. The book is called Worthy and specifically Unworthy. The Un is crossed off because so much of the book is a collection of stories of how I got from the cornfields of Iowa to the corner office of Microsoft by undoing my uns. I often felt unable, unsure, unworthy, incapable, uncourageous. And oftentimes I found that I was the, the biggest limiter to my success. And when I say success, I don't mean the title or anything else, just my confidence in being able to do and move forward. So people often look at me and say, well, you have a secret sauce. You did something no one else does. And it's not true. It's just not true. I'm no different than anyone else. Um, The stories are to show my insights and how I drove it. And that's why I focused on how I felt versus what I did. The stories are meant to... And I've heard the stories will make you laugh out loud and they'll make you cry out loud. I told a friend said, um, I snorted when I laughed and I projectile cried when I read your book. I did both within a matter of minutes. So I thought that was a good thing because the stories are relatable then. Yeah, I would love for you to share a little bit about how you got rid of the uns, because um, when I'm working with people, having them manifest a life that they love, which you've clearly done, that feeling of not being worthy always comes up, you know, if someone is struggling with having a great relationship, having a great career, having a body, they feel really great. And if they, you, you feel unworthy, you're going to keep attracting more of that unworthiness and you're not gonna have the confidence to go out and do the work that's necessary. So can you share a couple of uh, stories about how you 
got rid of that on in your life and use that to move forward. I, I will. Um, I want to be really clear. I don't have it all figured out. I still struggle. And that's part of the reason why I wrote the book is to show that life is something. If you're stretching yourself, you're going to always be doing some degree of struggling. So I want to be really clear. Like, I don't want people to think that they're the ones that's a hot mess. I'm a hot mess too. It just depends on the day of the week or whatever, right? So I think we all have some of that in us. But probably for me, the biggest way that I overcame, so I, I tell myself that the more that I, the more I, um, the more I did difficult things and saw myself differently, the more I became confident in thinking of myself as able to do difficult things. I can do hard things. I can do that. And if I fail, it's okay. I've kind of redefined my definition of failure. Failure isn't trying something and not succeeding. Failure is not trying something and not giving my best towards something. In the process of doing that, I've given myself permission to fail and be okay with that. Like the book, I wrote the book to, and it's really vulnerable. It's got stories in there. I didn't tell my kids and they read about them. I'm like, oh, how's they going to know? But the truth is, um, it is who I am and I've given my best. And if you don't like it, that's okay. And coming to that place where I'm confident enough to say, it's okay if you don't like me, or it's okay if you don't agree with me, or it's okay that you don't approve of me, I do, has taken me a while to get to. And mostly I've done it by overcoming the, the knee-jerk reaction to tell myself what I can't do. I shouldn't take that job, or I'm going to fail at that etc. And, and doing it anyway, and learning that I can do those things. Or yeah. even if I don't, someone else can help me and I'll figure it out. I love that. I love though, also that idea of reframing failure. I mean, I always think about failure is stepping stones in the road to success, but failure for you is, is also the sense of, of not trying at all. That's failure when you don't even try and oh. realizing that, you know, getting rid of that people pleaser. I think a lot of us are recovering people pleasers and getting away from, I need to please myself. I need to do things for myself and keep pushing myself outside of my comfort zone. Because I think at midlife, it's particularly challenging where our brain wants to stay safe. So we stay small, we don't move forward. Can you share just one story where you really kicked yourself out of your comfort zone? You took a huge leap of faith. You believed in yourself, took a chance and it worked out for the best. I can give you two of them. One is that when I was 30 years old, I was given the opportunity to work overseas and um, in South America. I was 30 years old. I had a one and a half year old child. I was a white woman who didn't speak Spanish. And I'm pretty sure I wasn't qualified for the job. It was a stretch. Despite all those things, it was a stretch. And I told my husband after I was offered a job, like kind of one of those, hey, you'll never guess what happened to me today. They offered me this. And in the conversation that we had in about a four hour walk, we collectively decided to make this decision, but he's like, you can do this. You're, all the objectives, all the, the um, reasons why you can't are really not, we can knock them down in their fear. And four days later, I was on a, on a flight to Buenos Aires and had the most amazing experiences, which I wrote about in the book that completely reframed a small girl from a small town in Iowa to someone who is literally managing the 16 countries south of, of Mexico. Wow. And I couldn't have seen it from where I grew up. Didn't even know what, where most of those countries were. Um, 
but we all have those kind of experiences where we do things we, that are that we think we can't, and then we dis. And even then, I'm like, well, I had a good boss, or I had whatever. Women tend to discard or dismiss our achievements. And I would say for the women that are in midlife that are asking, gosh, where am I at? What can I do? The achievements you've had through your life, the things that you've done, whether it's with children or giving birth or supporting other people, those are massive skills. Just because they don't have a title doesn't mean you don't have something to give. That's precisely why you have something to give because of what you've already achieved that way. And so, we have so much wisdom too. I was hanging oh, some 30 somethings yesterday and I just felt so empowered with my knowledge, my wisdom. Oh. I've been around the block more than once and all the mistakes I've made and crises I've had it was just really easy to to help these, you know, young younger women who are kind of struggling to define themselves and feel good about themselves in a world that, that there there's a lot of difficulty. So let me give you the second example. I said there were two. The second was when I was one of the top dozen women at Microsoft. I was a corporate vice president. I was the bomb. Like I had achieved the pinnacle of a career, right? I've been on magazine covers and all that stuff. I was failing at Microsoft. They were eating me alive. I did not get along with the culture. It was foreign to me and I was struggling to get traction. I wasn't technical. I was a very good marketer in a culture that would not just to enable me to succeed. So I was offered the opportunity and I couldn't manage business because I wasn't technical. They expected me to leave, but I had an injury and couldn't. I took a demotion. Everyone Against everyone's recommendation, I took a demotion, which means I had to put my ego to the side. By most people's assessment, I was fa I failed. You could argue I failed. By mine, by the financials and everything else, but um, I took a different job and I decided to go back to, to leading in the way that I that I had gotten me there to begin with. And it was going to be cons consistent with my values, my yardstick for success. And in that way, I was amazingly successful going forward. Sometimes failure means you repivot. You do things differently. You redefine your definition for what success is. You redefine your definition for failure. And in so doing, you open up a whole new pathway for tomorrow. And that's what happened to me. I could not have imagined by accepting that demotion, how many doors would open and how much, just what a great experience would open up before me by being more humble, by doing things differently. So there's an example where I failed, where I failed. And then I would argue I won through that. So how, how do you deal with sort of the fear, the failure and the ego issue, some of these blocks that we have so that you can, you know, listen when you, your intuition says, okay, take this, um, this other job or go to bonus hours, do these things. How do you deal with um, your fear, failure, ego, some of those things that are so common blocks for everybody who is trying to move forward in their lives? I had to, honestly, I mean, at this point, I kind of realized that pushing forward with what I'd been doing, I was not happy. I was not the person I wanted to be. I would have made probably good money. I could have faked it. I could have moved on to something else. And I would not have been a happy person. And I would not have enjoyed the experience or liked what I saw on the mirror every day. And I not only took a demotion, but I accepted leading a business that I knew nothing of, the Windows business. <laughs> 
not a small business, a billion dollar business that was not doing well. I literally went to howitworks.com the weekend before I took over the job. So the first thing I did was say to my team, I have no idea what your business is. I don't know what Windows does. You're going to have to teach me all the stuff. You are going to have to carry me for a while. But I'm a very good business leader. And these are the things that I will do for you. And this is how we will work together. And this is how I will make us successful if you let me. And it was very humbling to realize what I wasn't and acknowledge what I wasn't, but also, also to say, this is what I am and what I will do for you and what I can contribute. And at first they looked at me like, oh gosh, I'm not coming out of the bunker for her. I'm keeping my head down because I'll get shot that that's the Microsoft way. And what made us absolutely blow apart the results of our business was that people came to the party who as who they were and they'd stopped hiding and I stopped hiding and we had such a great time. So for your people that are struggling with ego, I just want you to know from someone that's been at the most senior levels in management, it's okay not to know and to acknowledge that and to ask for help. It's okay. And it's really good to recognize that people around you are better at what they do than you are, but that doesn't make you less than. It makes you lucky because you get to take advantage of their skills and contribute your own. It's only when we try to be everything and not acknowledge we're not that we think of ourselves as a failure and we focus on what we're not instead of what we are. Yeah, powerful lessons. And it's, I think also so much about authenticity and just showing mm -hmm. up and saying, this is who I am. This is what I know. This is what I don't know. Being vulnerable, saying, hey, I don't, I have no idea how to do this. Can you teach me? I'm and a pig farmer love. from Iowa that never learned this. Help me. Yeah. And, and also, you know, bringing in that feminine aspect of, I don't need to be the big boss and know it all and tell you what to do. I would rather let's work on this together yeah. to really make things thrive. And I love that throughout your career, it really sounds like you're listening to your heart. You're tapping into your intuition. When something doesn't feel right, you mm -hmm. pivot. And that's a, that's hard for a lot of people to do. How do you actually listen to your heart? Do you have any, uh, any kernels of wisdom around uh, tapping into your heart and your intuition? I do. Um, I mean, nothing that's like, ah, sorry. Um, for me, I'm a real nature person. So when I'm struggling with something, I go outside and I meditate and I go and ask for the answers and listen to what comes to me. And I need to, for me, that's typically in nature. I say I have um, my uh, my uh, uh, meditation, movement, medication, and then meetings, because I've also done uh, a 12-step program. So I put meetings in there. Um, and those things together, especially, you know, the meditation, the movement, and in some cases, medication, uh, if I'm, if I'm a little out of whack in, or, and for me, frankly, that's a lot of now how I eat, how I sleep, how I treat myself, um, physically all ties into how do I show up and how confident am I in my own skin? Can you tell us a little bit about what you do for your own health and well-being? Because I know we're, we're both around the same age. So I guess it's yeah. okay that we're proud. We're proud 60. Yeah. Um, you look amazing. You've got fantastic energy. What do you actually do for your health and well-being? I do yoga with a group of women that I love that I started before COVID. We do it online and we hold each other accountable. I do hiking. And honestly, one of the key things that I do um, for me, I go for a walk every night. Ideally, when it's dark with the dog, hopefully I don't get hit. 
And in the process of doing that, I literally think about my day and I let go the parts of my day that don't serve me. And I release them before I go to bed so that I can be filled with what was good about my day and what feels good about me. And I carry that into sleep and I carry that into um, the next day. But my, that, that concept of emptying out mentally for me at night, because I've got so many things going on in my mind moves fast and I move fast that enables me to create what I, for me, create space for grace. Yeah, it sounds like you've got some great self-care techniques. So if you're listening, you're thinking, I don't have time for self-care. Self-care is selfish. That is totally, oh. yes. If you want to be oh, happy, yeah. successful, healthy, you got to move your body, work on your stress, get your sleep and eat a whole foods, plant-based diet. It truly is Makes the sense. best medicine out there. I mean, it's amazing. I'm, I'm doing a lot of uh, studying right now of the connection between nutrition and mental health. So your health, good mental health helps you eat better and what you eat actually plays a huge role in how you actually feel. So it's a great example of how, cause I, I meet corporate women all the time who all they do is work. They work 10, 12 hour days. They're, you know, having the diet Coke and the- It would be two o'clock and I'd realize I hadn't eaten all day. And no. then I would be like, oh God, just whatever calories, calories, calories. And it was crap. And there was for me, and still is a direct correlation between how well I eat and how I, how I'm able to process things mentally. Yeah. The brain is actually really uh, hungry in terms of glucose and staying fueled. So it's super important. I want to talk a little Listen bit. Listen to her. Um, she knows better than me. <laughs> <than that>. Yeah. <laughs> about your, your definition of success and talk a little bit also too of the, the transition that you've made, but let's talk about success first. I know you've redefined it again and again. It sounds like it's a very fluid concept, but how do you define success now? Oh, it's, um, I have a plaque, a decoupage plaque. It's pink and it's ugly and it's been like 30 years old or something. But it's from it's a quote from Irma Bombeck and I'm going to butcher it, but it basically is my philosophy, which is that when I die and I get to the pearly gates, wherever and whatever those look like, I want to be able to say I used every bit, every drop of talent and capability that I was given. I had and for me, success is using all the talent that I've been given, not letting fear keep me from utilizing that and utilizing on behalf of lifting other people up and making a difference. I've been very fortunate in my life to be able to transition from making a living for my family, because I was the primary bread earner, only bread earner, to making a difference. Um, and I think for me, success is really being able to use the skills that I've been given on behalf to the best of my ability on behalf of someone else. And that's key to if you're listening. And I, I think we were talking about this off the air a little bit about everybody at midlife. We have so much wisdom and so much to give. We oh, you know yeah. influence up to four generations, our grandkids, our kids, our peers, our parents. And when I meet midlife women, they're like, I am all washed up. I'm not seen. I'm not heard. And we're here to say, no, no, you oh, have my gosh. to offer the world. We in particular, young women, they're looking for mentors. They're looking for someone who's been there, done that, who's experienced the same thing because everybody's so isolated and everybody sees like um, bits and pieces of themselves. They, they see what's on, on Instagram. They see something that's polished and beautiful and they compare their insides to someone else's outsides and nobody can measure up. So by being able to do some mentoring or being able to give back to people that are maybe struggling or striving or, or just going for a walk with them and showing them what can be. It's an amazing gift to be able to give. Do not underestimate that, please. 
Yeah, I was working with some uh, young women last night. We were all hanging out and yeah. it was just fun to be able to give them a different perspective of what is possible and also just just how great midlife is. I think, again, there's these stories out there that it's the wrong side of 40. It's Oh, it's no, boo. I'm loving this time. I'm loving it. I really am. I, I've gotten through like all the BS a little bit of having to worry so much about my image and how I look and what other people think. Like I've earned at 60 years old, at 50 years old, at 70 years old, at 40 years old. As a woman, I have earned the right to be heard. I have something to offer and to give. And I want to step up and into that. And it's not because of the titles I've achieved. The first story in my book talks about... Um, a pickle bucket. Every kid in my family had a pickle bucket. It was five gallons. And that was our special place where we could put into that pickle bucket anything we wanted. And I filled that bucket as best I could with all my ribbons and my report cards and my certificates and everything else. And one day when I was older, my dad threw that bucket away. And honestly, for so many years of my life, I spent trying to fill that pickle bucket with titles and degrees and money and other things. It's literally what I spent decades of my life, the first decades of my life, trying to fill my pickle bucket to prove that I matter. And it's only been in the last decades, ladies, that we can appreciate it's not what you put in, it's what you take out. Mm, You've invested decades putting stuff in, care and love and experiences and all of those things. And we're at an age where we get to take them out and show them and share them. And that's what's exciting. And that's what the book's about is how I finally learned that it was in taking out of the pickle bucket, not what went in, that makes me light up, that gives me energy, that gives me success. That's how I define it. Tell us a little bit about your work with the Boys and Girls Club, too, because I know I love the Boys and Girls Club and and I encourage you get the book. I've started reading it. It's terrific. Um, and hundred percent of the proceeds go to the boys and girls club. My kids went to the boys and girls club for years. It's a fantastic organization. Tell us about your experience and why you chose this charity. I chose boys and girls club because of a gnarly old nun that asked about what I was doing on, in, after, after high school. And in the process of asking me, she said, you know, Jane, you should go to college and you should go to college in forestry. And she went the next step and she said, and I'll help you apply for a scholarship, which she did. So she put her words into action, which is so important. And women do that. Lots of times men don't, just saying. And she um, helped me get a little scholarship, $320, but it was enough to raise my gaze and think of myself as college material, like someone else gave me a scholarship. So I'm giving back by making the books, all the all of the proceeds of the book go to Boys and Girls Club scholarships because of what that four foot nothing gnarly old nun with laser bolts for her eyes and passion and enthusiasm in her voice and belief in me did for me. If I can, through the sale of this book, so if you buy this book, that's the proceeds go to Boys and Girls Club. Hopefully you like it. At the very least, you're moving the peanut forward for someone else. That's why I'm doing it for Boys and Girls Club because it's filled with kids whose backward looking trajectory is not what they want for the future. And they have no means to get to a different future without a scholarship or intervention. Yeah, that's, that's why I'm doing it. 
That's that's super powerful. So just a final question. What's one key message or advice that you want people to take either from your book, from your life, people are listening? And I'd love to hear just a little bit about the empowerment piece, because it sounds like you are feels like you're on like this empowerment elevator, right? Like going up one floor and another floor and another floor and another floor. And you reach sort of this pinnacle place where I feel worthy and good about myself, but I don't need the pickle bucket anymore. But people listening, what sort of one or two final closing nuggets you'd like to share? I would say that I wrote the book and I called it unworthy because I want to point out that worthy is not based on what you wear or look or have done or haven't done or anything else. Because it's not what you have or haven't done. It's what you can and will do in the future. And I would argue that all women listening to this have an amazing opportunity to contribute to others. So please don't hold back. Please do that. And then the other thing is, um, if there's something you want to do, but you're holding yourself back, something you want to say, something that needs to be done or needs that you feel strongly about, do it. Don't be afraid to do it. And if you fail, the failure will be that you've tried your best and it didn't work out, but something else will. It will open a door in a different way that if you haven't achieved it yet, there's a new yet. There's a new something that you can and will do. If you're in midlife, man, you are in the best possible place to give what you got and don't put anything in the way of doing that. We, we're, I am so excited about the years ahead. And I am 60 years old and I'm just starting my 60s. And Katie bar the doors. There's a whole lot of stuff I think that that um, that's before me yet. And before others too. So that's great advice. If you if you have a nugget of something that you really want to do, go for it. And also I think your idea too of, of don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't oh, be geez. afraid to say, you know, I'm vulnerable. I don't know how to do this thing. There are people out there who will mentor you and help you get to where you want to be. Nobody gets there by themselves. No one gets ahead by themselves. And relying on the strengths of others doesn't make you doesn't make you weak. It makes you strong. Yeah, beautiful parting words. Well, the the book is called Worthy. It's by Jane Bulwar. It's B-O-U-L-W-A-R-E. I'm assuming it's on Amazon and in bookstores. It's on Amazon. There's another book called Worthy by Jada Pickett-Smith. We're not the same. It's very different. Um, I hope that it will inspire you and encourage you to claim your worth. So please consider it. And it does move the peanut forward for Boys and Girls Club kids. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you have inspired me and uh, I can't wait to Likewise. dig more of the book. If you want to get in touch with me, just reach out to me at themidlifewhisperer.com. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. Jane, thanks again. And thank you all for being here today. Go thanks out there and me. make a difference.